All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. But first up today, we take you over to here in Taiwan. Hello and welcome to Here in Taiwan. Today is Thursday, April 2nd. I am John Van Trieste and here in the studio with me today, we've got Shirley Lin. Hello. Up next, Taiwan to the rescue. We'll be hearing the story about how Taiwan helped rescue a large number of foreign tourists who were stranded in Peru. Then we'll be heading over to Taiwan's new mask-making capital and seeing how it's making the best of a rather bad global situation with the COVID-19 pandemic. And finally, are Taiwanese kids getting enough playtime? We'll be finding out the answers based on a survey in just a moment. First today, though, uh, we live in a world dominated these days by COVID-19 and fears about catching and spreading it. And that's led a lot of people to start working from home. Taiwan's no exception. Uh, People here, though, have some mixed views about whether working from home is a good thing or maybe not such a good thing. Right. Well, the government hasn't made it official, calling everybody to you know work from home and yeah. not go into the office. But even we kind of are. We already to an extent put into practice. You know, we figured we might as well. Yeah. And so, so is this person whose company decided to kind of like put into practice for now. Right. Just in case when it becomes official, everybody knows right. what to do. And I, just to be clear, I mean, we're not recording this from home. I mean, we're still coming in. Right. But uh, we're sort of letting some people work from home some of the time. So some of the time. Trying so to get then, people not all crowded together. Yeah. Yeah. Right, exactly. So, so that's how it is with this woman. Well, I'm realizing it's a woman because she's saying that I like working from home because she's saying that, um, you know, I don't have to commute, waste all that time commuting, and I don't have to put on makeup. So I'm so you know, this is a woman talking here. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so then she wants to know what everybody else think about this, you know, working from home. Um, first of all, she's saying that uh, what it means working from home is everybody brings the computer up. Uh, back home, right. um, notebook, you know, and uh, and then they have video conferences. And then also at home, she feels there's just so much more free and you can just work a little bit and then you feel hungry, you can go downstairs, get some food, oh. you know, and then just eat a bit, spend some time eating before working again. Um, now, some of his her colleagues saying that this is not okay because Why? they prefer working going to the office and work some people can't get some people get distracted don't they yes and um they saying that they don't you know um they just can't discipline themselves Mm. at home because they think that's better off at work and um and then there were others who was saying that and they share from experience um he or she said that uh, he used to work at home for three years and then he would um clock in um, you know, every every day from Monday to Friday for mm-hmm. nine hours of work and clocking online. And it was all fine in the winter, but in the summer, you start using your own um, air conditioner. Oh. That means the electricity bill goes way up. <laughs> and she, he's saying, or he or she, um, is saying that, you know, everything else is all great about working from home except for that. 
And then there was um, other people who were saying that, well, because some companies, they kind of take turns, um, like like you were saying, we don't make everybody crowd into one office. So right. we take turns, like, you know, somebody comes in Monday, Wednesday, Friday, others come in Tuesdays and Thursdays or whatever. Um, and um, But this person, whoever was writing, saying that, but the thing is that he doesn't have a printer at home. Oh. Which makes it a little bit of a troublesome. And yeah. he can't read the documents. I guess, I'm, I know I'm better off printing it out and reading it because it's so much better mm. for my eyes. It hurts your, you you don't have to squint your eyes, you know, reading yeah, from your mobile or your computer or whatever. Well, mobiles are the worst. They get, yeah, your the eyes worst. get really tired. I know. And, but he's saying that, uh, yes, it's true. You don't have to commute. You don't have to put on makeup and, um, you, you can sleep You don't have to put on in. pants if you don't want to. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure that's, lots of people are doing that. Yeah. And, um, and then you have to, you can just sleep in mm. before you start working. And others are saying, I think most, I think the most that people like about not, um, about working at home is not having to commute, right. wasting all that time. Yeah. And uh, there are others, though, who just think that, oh, it's so terrible. I mean, in terms of efficiency, mm. um, they, they were saying that a lot of companies abroad have had tried doing, you know, work from home. Right. But eventually they started going back to the office because of the efficiency issue. You know, people are just don't get, you know, just not so disciplined and right. efficient if you were to work from home. And um, most uh, companies abroad, uh, they've done surveys and they think it's terrible with efficiency working from home. So, yes, you're more free and everything, but efficiency level is terribly low and you just feel like you can do whatever you want mm. at home. Right. Yeah. I think, well, I wonder because this is probably the first time in living memory that something like this has happened where lots of people are having to work from home like this. I wonder if someone will do a study about that and measure in some way, whether productivity went up or down or, I mean, that kind of was the definitive answer to the question, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. You know, I, I, I don't really, um, and not only work. Um, well, I, I mean, so far I'm coming in on the days when I have new uh, shifts, mm. so which is all fine. Um, but uh, other things, have also put us back at home. Like, for example, my church activities. Right. And I kind of don't like that. You really? know, not being in touch with people, not seeing people really like face-to-face. Mm. And it's just kind of weird. And I feel like I'm, I'm becoming very lazy at home, oh, especially really? on the weekends huh. when, I have, when I don't have to come into work. Yeah, just like I remember the first weekend um, when we just had to stay home and then watch the sermon on on online. Right. Um, I only went out for like an hour or two at the most that whole weekend, Saturday and Sunday included. Mm. I felt really, really lazy. Uh, well, it's probably, you know, that makes a difference. They say if you stay home, you can save lives. So consider yourself a hero. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, up till maybe I graduated university, I could never, I had to be in a library or an office or something like that. But I found that in the past few years, that's changed a lot. And actually on the days when I'm doing the news at home, you get, because I do all my sh my preparation for my shows at home too. So you oh. get into like a zone when everything else is tuned out. And yeah. the other good thing about it is that with a lot of the breaking stuff, like every day at a certain time, they have a press conference now to say how many new cases, what's the deal. And I can just turn on my TV and right. watch it as it's happening rather than having to wait for someone in, to put out a Chinese report, which I then have to translate. And then it just saves lots of time. And, yeah. But um, you know what? I'm not like you. I mean, when I come to work, that's where I do work. Right. I, when I go home, I've tried bringing work home. Right. I have. But it didn't work for me. I just didn't yeah. open it. I didn't touch it. So I'm just oh. better off working from 
work. I think <laughs> the other thing too, like with not seeing people face to face is that like a lot of people that I'm close with don't live in Taiwan. So I'm very used to that. That doesn't bother oh, me nearly as much. True. It's just yeah. something that takes getting used to. I think yeah. we'll all sort of adapt. Well, there is one thing I realized. I'm saving more money by not eating out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Did so, I love grocery shopping? Been cooking a lot with my husband lately well, at home. We hope that wherever you are, you're staying safe and staying home. So I think it was a few days ago we had a report about uh, the foreign ministry setting up some charter flights to get Taiwanese tourists home. Uh, they were stuck in Peru because Peru closed its borders. They were trying to stop the spread of COVID-19. And, but the problem was that commercial flights pretty much seemed to have ground to a halt. And so what do you do if you're abroad and suddenly there's nowhere to get home? Yeah. Anyway, they arranged, the Peruvian government approved these charter flights, the Taiwan arranged them. And then um, because Taiwan was only the third country to evacuate its citizens from Peru, following the U.S. and Mexico. So pretty early on, that meant that a lot of other countries' nationals were still stuck there. Mm-hmm. And so those countries started getting in touch with Taiwan and asking, saying, can you help <laughs> us out? Really? Taiwan, the people who were organizing this flight anyway in Taiwan, realized there were the second of the two flights had a bunch of extra seats. And so um, uh, we helped get out, let's see, uh, 50. There are 55 Taiwanese on that flight, but also 34 Americans, 29 Japanese citizens, 14 Singaporeans, and 7 Malaysians got home. We didn't take them all the way home, but through, like, I think it was Miami was sort of where they transferred onto other connecting flights. Really? So, um, and we have some very nice um, remarks from, (laughs) I mean, I'm sure. From uh, our uh, friends overseas, uh, the chief representative of the Japan-Taiwan Exchange Association uh, said that he is grateful for what he called Taiwan's brimming friendship, helping Japanese nationals get out and make it part of the way home. And Singapore's Minister for Foreign Affairs also wrote on Facebook, apparently, quote, we deeply appreciate the assistance of our Taiwanese friends who welcomed our Singaporeans on board their aircraft, end Uh. quote. So um, this just goes to show, as we often try to say, Taiwan can help. And uh, when that's what I like about it. It's there, that some, there's something very Taiwanese in terms yeah. of the generosity and helping people out who are in a, a, having a hard time. Um, right. We're so, such Samaritans. <laughs> I think we really are. Taiwanese people really go out of their way. And I'm. I, I, it doesn't surprise me that this happened, I guess. I um, guess so, yeah. Um, I'm just glad that, you know... Uh, everyone got out safely and uh, they were also very thankful to the Peruvian government for approving these extra flights yeah that's true on short notice right so all right we made a video about this story a news video if you haven't seen it go check it out but uh, this story that I have has some extra information that uh, surprised me I didn't know any of this so, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Shuto Township in Jiayi County. It's not a place that I think is on, people think about very often if you don't live there. Um, mm. It's kind of a rural sort of area of part in southern Taiwan. Um, and they're mostly known for making socks. Uh, oh, okay. At some point, they were like the sock capital. <laughs> I don't know where they still are, but apparently business maybe isn't quite what it used to be. Uh, and so a lot of people have switched to making masks. The COVID-19 pandemic has sent could have guessed demand that. skyrocketing. They're making mostly cloth masks, so I'm not mm-hmm. sure if they're for medical use. I don't think so much. Well, um, I think um, right now 
we're making a lot of um, and I've got personally uh, one of these cloth masks right. where you can stick a surgical mask inside so right. they can reuse the surgical mask more than once it's supposed to keep your the mask and I don't know if there's any evidence to back this up but like cleaner for longer so it has yeah. the benefit of the filtration without you breathing directly on it or getting your moisture yeah and, and I get to wash the cloth mask right. every day so yeah. you feel kind of a bit cleaner <laughs> yeah um and and they started I guess getting uh domestic orders uh, and that was a big thing for a while, but now that's tapered off, uh, and Europeans and Americans are sending in orders, and big orders too, minimum 10,000. Um, oh, for these cloth masks? Yes, of, in one <laughs> pack of them. Okay. Um, and the 2,000 of the town's 8,000 sock-making machines have been converted. Apparently, this surprises me, because socks are quite different from masks, but apparently they're quite suitable for doing both jobs. That is because um, they produce tightly woven materials, and... Business is booming to the point where people are working through the night to oh, keep up goodness. with these orders. They haven't been so busy in t the last 20 years. Mm. So, <laughs> again, I'm not sure like this is going to last for very much longer. Mm -hmm. Who knows? But they're getting on the train, the bandwagon while they can, making again, as much money. Again, we're playing Samaritans. <laughs> <laughs> well, people are paying for it. It's okay. not free. Right. Um, but they are really going out of the way. You can't really tell in the video. Um, so I, this really surprised me. They're making 10 different versions of masks. It's not just they're like specializing, I guess, different factories or different machines maybe. Mm. Um, okay. and there, and different manufacturers are meeting different needs, uh, supply and demand. There you go. Um, there's a market for everything. Some of them are focused on masks that use materials that are be better at filtering. Others are focused on wearer's comfort. And also, of course, their sense of fashion. There's some who have patterns on them. <laughs> um, they started out mostly with bamboo charcoal fiber because it's deodorizing. And also I think a lot of, here, for some reason, a lot of socks are made with that material. Yes. Too. Um, yeah. They've sw since switched mostly to silver fiber, which I also did not know this, has the added benefit of antimicrobial properties. Okay. I think maybe some lab work will be needed to see if it works on COVID-19 or not, but right. it's always a plus. It could, maybe we'll get rid of some other stuff. <laughs> I don't oh, know. I should have thought about that when I was picking up my um, cloth mask to oh, consider, know. you know, yeah. I don't anyway. know if they're really advertised that way, but um, they cost more to make with silver fiber, but apparently they're much better received by international buyers, I guess, because of those antimicrobial properties. Mm. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they started out selling three masks for 100 NT dollars, one, roughly one US dollar per mask, which isn't mm -hmm. very bad. And that was domestically, so I have no idea what they're charging our international customers who I can actually probably afford to pay a good bit more than people here. We've got right. lower incomes. Um, <laughs> it's just very surprising um, that from socks to masks, there you go. And um, it says here that it's been unexpected, this surge in orders from overseas, but it's a money-making thing for this oh. village, sock-making village. And also it gives them a chance to, with great pride to Revive show off, uh, yeah. well, to show off Taiwan's industrial capabilities. You want sure. 100,000 cloth masks? We can do it. <laughs> well, I'm assuming that they're using sewing machines, right? Or similar thing. Um, yeah. Because if, if you know how to operate a sewing machine, you can do just about anything. So <laughs> this is in the video, if I remember right, they said that uh, they started out being handmade. But oh, then my goodness. The workers wow. were not able to keep up the pace and I'm machines sure. are able to do a lot faster. So they've like really, like I said, 2000 machines are churning these masks out now. So wow. um, <laughs> I guess socks are on hold for now. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
All right. Um, now, I'm sure things have changed because uh, even though kids are still in school here, they have had an extended break by this point. But this is a, a um, survey that was conducted slightly before the pandemic got underway. So uh, uh, from de late December to late January. Uh, but the results have just been released. And it says that 40% of children in Taiwan spend one less than one hour playing games, I think, each day. And uh, what 40... kind of games are we talking about? Well, I think they mean like video games. Video games. Forty percent oh, of children okay. age nine to twelve frequently play on online games too. Uh, but the problem is that uh, they're not really getting enough, according to the definition of enough set out by the Hong Kong Committee for UNICEF. I'm not sure why they're the um, I don't know authority on how much play children should have, but they suggest every child should get at least one hour of free free play every day to promote their healthy development um, of the brain. <laughs> I don't think that includes online games, though. I don't know why that's in there. Really? However, um, let's see. Only about like thirty-seven percent of children age six to nine in Taiwan make that threshold. Mostly, I guess. I don't know. What are they busy with? Schoolwork, after-school yeah. classes. Um, I mean, your parents just, you know, have high expectations with their children. Um, they go, you know, like have piano lessons. Oh, yeah, that's true. Right? Uh, that kind of thing. Different, like, clubs, Some musical instrument. Yeah. Some, some of them clubs. do, like, taekwondo is popular. Taekwondo. Oh, there's one down the street from where I live. And then um, um, also, like, um, what do you call it? Using a xin um, suan. What do you call that? You mean like arithmetic? Mental math. Um, yeah, mental math. They do have those, these academies that I teach kids to do that. they still have that. They do, they do, they do. You know? Also, English yeah, is, oh, a, yeah. Oh, yeah, of is course. a big one. English. A lot of big brand names have big branches um, that teach these classes, these after-school classes. Right. Um, so, yeah. And then a further 40% maybe make the... They, they don't get more than one hour or, you know, so it's like just barely, the bare minimum, basically. Mm. Um, and even... Even uh, most of the playing takes place on weekends, as you might expect. Uh, as they get older, this situation gets worse because the homework, the school, the extracurriculars get heavier and heavier. And, um, you know, uh, they say that uh, parents, I'm not sure if this is good or not, but um, a, a lot of the time that they do spend playing is spent, on, uh, you know, doing uh, online games. And parents will consider this free play. So it's fair enough. Fine, uh -huh. they don't need to do anything else. They've got their play for the day. Well, I was just going to say, um, some years ago, my my son actually found an article saying that playing these online games is actually good for your brain. Well, and, you know... I guess so. You can't just say totally, like, you know, online games is out for your kids, but... It actually helps them think, and I don't know. But the thing is that they, they say that they doesn't, they don't have a chance to participate actively. It's usually it's rather passive, and also there's no they. Not every game, I guess, is like this, but a lot of them don't allow the player to use their creativity or bring it into the game. They're playing within an, a set framework, set rules, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so and then. Uh, you know, 40% of parents spend at least five days a week playing with their children, but about 15% almost never do, uh, which means maybe one to two days a month or even less. Uh, that's kind of sad. 54% uh, of kids do regularly go outdoors. That's good to play, yeah. to place like parks or riversides. But uh, like 38% spend a lot of their time indoors in places like shopping centers or department stores. Uh, right. If it's in the summer, that's true. Yeah, well, I guess <laughs> Air that makes conditioning. sense. So I'm not sure if that's uh, very good or not, but I guess that's the state of play. 
here in Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Shirley Lin. Don't go anywhere just yet. Coming up next, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. Lights, camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Hello and welcome to Lights, Camera, Asia. I'm Jake Chen. The film we are going to talk about today is a true modern masterpiece from Japan. Similar to the Taiwanese movie that we've been talking about in the past two weeks, this film deals with the topic of death and its aftermath. But unlike Seven Days in Heaven, this movie deals with it in a much more serious and emotional tone. So, without further ado, here it is. The Oscar goes to Departures, Japan. Directed by Yoshiro Takeda. Departures, or as it is called in Japan, Okuribito, won the best foreign film at the Academy Awards in 2008. And uh, this recognition is indeed well deserved. The film offers a beautiful story, it is very well shot and acted, and it has a beautiful original soundtrack written by the renowned composer Joe Hisashi. It is a moving piece of work through and through, and now let's dive right into it. Not long after the film opens, we see our protagonist, Daigo Kobayashi, playing cello as part of an orchestra. As the camera pans across all the musicians and the very few members in the audience, and then across Daigo's face, we see that he's young, handsome, and completely focused on his craft. And just when we thought it would be the beginning of a promising music career, the story immediately takes a left turn. The owner of the orchestra walks in the lounge after the play was done and nervously tells the entire orchestra that they've just been disbanded due to the lack of audience attendance. Everyone is stunned by the sudden change, including or maybe especially Daigo himself. By the time Daigo's wife Mika comes back home from a day's work, she had no idea that her husband is jobless, and the news certainly comes as a shocker. Daigo has to confess to her that 
she's not just lost his job, and that they both are in a large amount of debt because that he has secretly taken out a loan to buy his professional cello. With a considerable financial burden, and now just one income, the young couple has decided to move away from Tokyo to Yamagata, in the rural area of Japan. Mika continues her job as a web developer away from the office, and the couple gets to live in this old house that Daigo's mother had left him. This shift in the movie is much more than just a geographical change. It is a significant change and transition for Daigo. He has now returned from Tokyo, the urban city in which he tried to make a name for himself, and back to Yamagata, the rural town in which he grew up and spent his childhood. The people in this town, which we'll talk about later, shaped his memory and therefore a big part of who he is as an adult. Daigo sold his cello before moving back, and to him, it's for good reasons. He felt that he had reached the end of his talent and couldn't advance further in his music career. And after he returns to his hometown, we gradually get a chance to peek into his past. And the one person who has a big hand in shaping his career and, in large part, his personality, is unsurprisingly his father. In one quiet, cozy evening, Daigo sits down with his wife Mika and reminisces about his early childhood. He says that it is in this house that his father allegedly ran off with a woman at a bar and never came back. His mother, for some reason, has still kept his vinyl records and other personal possessions in the house long after he was gone. In several scenes of flashback throughout the entire film, the memory that Daigo shares with his father is that he always has to practice cello under his intense glare and expectation, and as a child, he clearly didn't seem like he was enjoying it. In fact, when Mika had asked him what his father looks like, Daigo couldn't even remember. It is a painful part of his memory that he had probably denied for a very long time. And now, after giving up a career that he didn't intend to start in the first place, Daigo is back to square one. Both geographically and mentally, he's back to being that child, facing the choice of what to do next. Except, this time he has a choice. And this time, Daigo fell into something by accident. He one day saw an ad in the local newspaper for a job at a local quote-unquote travel agency. And the first thing he arrives that he sees is a number of coffins lying inside the office. He realizes that this is not the kind of travel agency that he had understood in the first place. Ah, yeah. 
いやあのその募集広告には「旅のお手伝いをする」って書いてあったので僕はあてっきり旅行代理店かなとああこれ5色だ5色旅のお手伝いじゃなくて安らかな旅立ちのお手伝い The owner tells him that the journey that he will be helping others with is one that leads to the other world. More precisely speaking, he will be an encoffiner, a person who takes care of the procedure of dressing up a dead person, giving him or her one final makeup before moving the corpse inside to the coffin. Naturally, Daigo was、uh, apprehensive about the job. But seeing that he doesn't really have an income nor much in the way of a choice, he tries his hand on the gig. To say Daigo jumps off the deep end on the first day of his job is definitely an understatement. The first corpse that he has to help take care of is one that's been left unfound for weeks. And by the time he and his boss get to the house, the deceased, along with all the food in the room, has been decomposing. The movie has only shown flies and maggots crawling around in the room and spared all the details on the corpse, but even with that, the audience can see how extremely shocked and uncomfortable Daigo is, as he almost vomits several times throughout the procedure. And by the time he was done, he smells funny and people on the bus try to distance themselves away from him. And That is far from the worst trouble that he would face throughout the first part of the film. In one of the earlier episodes, I talked about how death is taken very seriously in Asian culture, and is doubly so in Japan. People often believe death is an extremely upsetting matter to the point it becomes almost a taboo for many. Most wouldn't openly bring out the topic of death in their conversations. And someone who touches the disease as part of his job is, well, let's just say he's shunned upon by many. Daigo never opens up about his job to anyone, but rumors spread quickly around the small town, and soon people begin to find out. In one instant, Daigo runs into his old childhood friend. The man who would normally strike up a conversation with him. Didn't say anything this time and only give him an intense stare. He murmured under his mouth to find a decent, presentable job and walks away. And after Daigo gets home, his wife Mika finally finds out about it and confronts him about his job. She thinks it is repulsive, disgusting, even, and I'm using the words in the movie, for a person to touch dead bodies during their everyday work. And she asks him to resign. Daigo disagrees, and the pair eventually has a fallout. Mika left him and moves to her parents' house. 
please join me next week as we continue to explore the plot of the movie and we'll find out what happens to Daigo next. How is he going to cope with the fact that he's going to touch Disease body day in and day out as his daily job? And how would people think about him as more and more of them find out? Would Daigo ever find peace with himself and closure with his father? These are the questions that we will answer in next week's Lights Camera Asia. Talk to you next time. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Now, Neil Wan is a very interesting person. He's Taiwanese, but he owns a pizza place called LNY Pizzeria, or Little New York Pizzeria. He's also a DJ and a model. He started working at this pizza place run by an expat, and this good friend of his later asked Neil to become partners. Well, he really likes pizzas. Um, I'm talking about Neil. So he, you know took over and uh, is now a great master in making pizzas. And he has just recently opened a second store. Now, we're talking about thin crust pizzas, New York style. So we went on and on about pizzas, different pizzas and flavors, and just the making of pizzas and the dough itself and all that, which is like a very important part to pizzas. Um, But anyway, um, that was all last week. And he said that the best way to test whether a pizza place is good or not is to try the most basic margarita pizza. And let me tell you, Little New York Pizzeria has great margarita pizza. And today, we're going to start with talking about just the music part of his interests, being a DJ. And then you play music on the side. I play That's music just part on, of the, on my side, yes. Your hobby, something that you kind of picked up in the last year, you said. Yes. It's on more the drums. Than, it's more than a hobby, I think. It's more it. than a hobby. Oh. You could say a so, hobby, but I, I feel like it's way, uh, it weighs more weight. Okay. Because hobby is more weight in my life. You know? Yeah. I pay more attention on it. Even though music? I, yeah. Oh. Okay. I, I think the purpose of making money mm-hmm. in my life right now is to support I can playing music you know i can get to touch the music uh-huh. you know because i'm not pro right now i, I definitely can't make money from music right <laughs> so i gotta make money from other place to fulfill uh when you're talking about pizza yeah the pizza, oh, okay. my business and but what about dj well DJ. that's just only you dj yeah, on DJ. a regular basis oh no not really i don't okay. have that much time to play every weekend uh-huh. which i don't want it yeah but i just sometimes i go out to play 
at the fashion events. Oh, fashion events! For example, right. like uh, Chanel uh, opening party. Oh, really? That kind of. I, I. It's fun. It's fun. I got paid, uh-huh. and I also get to use what I practice for. But you only play the drums, or do you, what? What other instruments do you play? Drum. I only play drums. You only play drums. Yeah, I only know. Why did you drum. pick drums? You think that's cool? I think uh, because I don't know guitar is more complicated. You think uh, it's more complicated, really? Uh, yeah. It's both complicated, but yeah. for a drum, it's easier for for someone who never learned any instrument. Oh, you just need to control when do you step your kick drum, your snare. Yeah. Learn the it's easier rhythm. to get in into it. Uh-huh. And guitar is now is more like a muscle memory. It's about how you like do the chords on your guitar. I know it's got six yeah. strings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and remember. also you're gonna learn kind of theory of it. Uh-huh. I think drum is. It's fun. I, I can right away jam with the with guitar or bass. True. Even though true. I just play a simple drum, boom, pop, boom, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to do chorus. You know, it's harder. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But the thing is that you cannot play by yourself. You have to have a guitar and a bass. Yes. At, yeah. at least a guitar. <laughs> at least a guitar. So yes, yes. you have to rely on a guitar yeah. at least yes. to start a band. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. For sure, <laughs> so. for sure, for sure. <laughs> but that's anyway. very lonely though. <laughs> Well, yeah. So you can't dedicate that much time to music because mm. on the weekends mm. you probably got the most customers on yes. the weekends at your pizza place. Yes. yes. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, but it's all guys working uh, on your staff. Is it all guys? Do you have uh, women? I will be because I'm looking 20, at your... 80, 20, 80. My manager Andrea. She's uh, she's a female. Oh, oh, oh okay. She's okay. a girl. All right. Yeah. So my main main uh, manager is a girl mm. um one but the rest service, are all... service always a girl is better oh, oh so waitress waitress, waitress? Mm. okay and then the people making the pizza are all guys is that right there's a one girl oh okay a few girls before but oh. most are guys yes yeah mm. oh cool does it require muscle not muscle work? i think that just the strength <laughs> to lift things up you lift know things. if you oh. if you want to mix the dough yes. the bowl could be very heavy with the flour and water it could oh. over like 20 kg oh. and you're gonna put it in the big mixer and you know it's it's kind of tough for uh uh for yeah. for the girl uh, yeah i'm not saying girl can't right definitely can but for the physical wise it's oh. harder a little bit harder wow but it's not a big deal you can always ask someone else to do it you know mm-hmm. you just need to know the knowledge of like the dough the temperature everything you know? yeah mm, that's um now Taiwan is considered humid, okay, like Taipei. Yeah, it's, it's very more humid. there's more humidity. It's very humid. Does that affect your you know, the dull? It yes. doesn't it? It does, right? Yes, so definitely. that makes it hard mm. to control, you know, uh, temperature, how the dough turns out. Temperature is the uh, the, key? the key. It's the key. It's everything. Oh mm. so the the experience for me is I used not care about too much temperature, even though I was already on the pizzeria. Yeah. So I found back the time uh, my qualities sometimes got problems. But I don't understand. It's an electric oven. Mm. If you turn it to say 280 degrees, it stays mm. there. Oh, you, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not talking about the ovens. I'm talking about the room temperatures. Oh, oh, oh okay. Yeah. So the dough is alive. You're gonna treat the dough with the temperature. Oh yeah, of course. Temperature controls the fermentation part. Oh. So it's kind of like a science stick, you know, yeah. like. For example, yesterday is hot, right? Yeah. And two days ago is hotter. 
Yeah. Which close to 30 degree. I remember I uh-huh. saw the thermit in my yeah. kitchen. 30 degree. Today, probably like 20. I know. It's 10 degrees different, right? Yeah. So that makes huge difference about how you uh, ferment your dough. True. And how you like put different temperature of water oh. mixed with the flour. Everything we're going to like test. We're going we're gonna to check what's the temperature of it. So you can change the temperature by... Water. You, yeah, the water that mm. you use, the t- water temperature. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I see. If it's colder, we put warmer water. Yes. We, we want to have like same result. Yeah. If it's different temperature, it could come out with a different result. Sure. In the second day, so on third day, it might over ferment or, or too less. Uh-huh. No taste. Yeah. So that's the thing what we don't want. So right now it's like uh, temperature. Yeah. So when it when it ferments, does it uh, then it gets a sour taste, or is it over what ferment? Kind of taste? Yes, over ferment. When you smell it, is is like sour bread, oh, like a sour dough. Sour dough. Yeah. But I mean, what's what's um, what's the right kind of dough? I mean, what should it taste like? Uh, salty, some kind of salty taste, savory taste, or mm. what do you? What, I'm it's thinking. about aroma when I'm you're thinking. eating a bread. Yeah. Uh, the bread, the, the, the magical thing about bread is not actually eating the bread. It's about you taste the air. After oh. you swallow your the bread, and you will right away taste the aroma of the bread with oh the air. Oh, my goodness. That's, the, that's why the bread is good. Texture is one thing. Yeah. You could have texture, but no taste. Uh-huh. You could have no texture, but with full of taste. But that's mm. the thing we don't want because it's probably very flat oh no air in the crust oh wow so it's a uh, <laughs> you're supposed to allow air in right it, de- it very depends on what kind depends. of style you want to present oh okay it's nothing the best it's nothing the right or wrong right but we can tell this is not good yeah for the most uh, people thinks would you call yourself a perfectionist i can say um i have the confidence enough to say i know pizza <laughs> compared to the first year of uh, running this business yeah yeah so right now i saw so, oh you own a pizzeria i feel like yes i i do know my product yeah and i'm proud of it but i'm not feel like uh, anything special you're listening to in the spotlight with shirley lynn You also make pasta. We make pasta for a second store. Yeah. Oh, you big, know, yeah. the pasta looks good too. Oh, from the picture? It looks good too. Yeah, yes, I'm going to thank my pasta. photographer. <laughs> yeah, he helps a lot. Okay. Mm. Well, I hope it tastes just as good. <laughs> uh, People's reaction is not, not bad. Oh, I'm okay. surprised. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm happy about it. You're very daring. I mean, because you're going from pizza to pasta. pasta. Yeah, I added you're menu. You're very daring. Mm. Okay. Does that mean the second place, the second restaurant is bigger then? Is it? Not necessarily is it bigger. bigger. No? It's about uh, the same size. I think the uh, the first floor will be bigger, but we don't have basement. Uh-huh. So storage room is smaller uh-huh. than the first one. Oh, I see. But uh, for the customer area, is much bigger and oh. open. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Because you're over at, the second restaurant is over at Zhongshan District, Zhongshan right? Zhongshan District. Which, actually, there's more traffic of a people. L- yeah, a lot so of So I think there should people. be more people who want to eat in. Yes, yeah. yes. That's the thing we found. Oh, okay. And uh, I'm still looking for a deliver in the area. Yeah. When it's going to pick up. 
uh-huh. uh, but staying doing pretty well. I think because the decoration, I uh, I spend more budget on it, mm-hmm. and after a few years, I, I collect the, all the different kind of style I I I have seen when I was traveling New York or different countries. So it has better layout, I would say that, and the speaker is better. Uh-huh. I have a DJ booth over there with the vinyl turntable, so I'm gonna play. Uh, sometimes I can play at my place just for my customer. Vinyl records. Do you I, have I vinyl? Play, yeah, I oh, play vinyl. My husband's got a big collection, really? so we're gonna talk about that later. Oh sure, <laughs> I love. I play. I play music with the vinyl. I love yeah? it. Yeah. Oh mm. wow, that that is so cool. Thank you. Well, let's talk a little bit about your modeling. Okay. That was actually your very very first job after college, or what? Well, before college. Before college, I okay, started do, oh. uh, seventeen when I was seventeen. Oh, oh, yeah. and and now you actually do occasionally model, so yeah, right? Yes, yes, yes. So how did that happen? Oh, uh, you mean modeling? W- w- oh, modeling. I was working at Seven Eleven as a clerk. Yeah. Uh, so my boss, they just opened a, a agency across the Seven Eleven, so uh-huh. they came for a coffee. Uh huh. So he saw me. He said, "Oh, this this kid is pretty tall." Yeah, I'm at one eighty seven back to seventeen. Right. So he asked me, "Hey, do you want to have uh, go casting for Doha uh, Sui? It's a local water brand." Water brand, yeah. So I'm like, mm, "Okay, sounds fun." And I just went. I was so innocent. I felt like mm, so much fun. Then we signed a contract, uh-huh. and so I started doing modeling right now. And I've been travel as a model for a little bit. Oh, really? Uh, you have? Yeah, I had different agency in uh, different cities. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, you're an international model. Not really. Like, uh, I, I did want to go, like, uh, Europe for Milano Fashion Week. But, and I, I didn't because I opened a, a pizzeria oh. when I was 26. Uh-huh. Mm. So you've been around uh, the world. A little is. bit, a little bit. Not so much, but yeah. a little bit, yes. Yeah. Mm. Well, so... You think modeling's fun? Why? What's oh, the course. What's the fun part about it? Fun part about it, it's uh, if you want me to answer right now, there's so much fun because you're the one who don't need to think too much about the plan, <laughs> the project. You just be be pretty over there. You got it. You got it. You know. You don't that's have fun. to. You don't have to <laughs> schedule yourself or like, oh, what are we gonna do the the first hour? You know. You don't have to. You tell people uh, tell you what to do. Mm-hmm. Be the best of you uh, mm-hmm. in front of camera. And you meet a lot of different people. They were uh, fun everywhere, you know, different colors, different countries, so many cultures, you know. And that's the fun part if you get to travel with uh, as a model. Yeah. And you get to see a, a, a some extreme situation. You're only in fashion industrial, you know, how people talk, how people act things. How so you imitate? Imitate. <laughs> What's your dream? So far, my dream still, I want to create a system. I still want to go uh, do if I can make Little New as a chain. You want to oh, make this pizzeria into a chain? Yeah, maybe go wow. um, mm, mm. international, go Southeast Whoa. Asia. Okay. I think pizza is a very friendly food. Yes. As long as you can know your business model and you have a local partner, you have a local resource. Before- I don't dream big dream right now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's... Those uh, are big dreams. It's kind of big dreams. Your pizza, you want to make it into a chain store. I want to so make a chain that, store, uh, yeah. That's a big dream. It's a lot of work to do. It is. It's been a lot of fun talking to you, Neil. Me too. Me too. Yeah. And I'm, I think I'm really excited about your life and uh, what you've you. drawn up for yourself. <laughs> Good luck. Thanks. Hopefully to hear a lot more success stories from you in the future. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Thank you, Neil. Thank you, Sherry. 
Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. Thank you.